everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Comment Section. That's right, guys. We made it. It's the end of 2023. That's right. Year four yeah. of this decade. Has or come is to it year four? Wait a second. Is it three or four? No, it's, I'm just kidding. It's one I'm to making think about. a joke about how we started recording this and then uh, had an, a technical issue and made yes. a joke about how... Anyway, let's get All into it. All came and cut the cable for um one of the hosts' internet. I will say it was me. And Paul, yeah. it didn't work this time. Yeah, I know we, you tried it many times. But we are still on the air. You can't stop us. Not today. Exactly. Yet another year. And if you can believe it, it's also, we have done a best of end of the year special every year since 2017. So what is that? 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, two, three. This is our seventh annual that makes it the Force Awakens. It's a centennial. Yes. Do you know what's crazy to think about? What? This time next year, the 2020s will be half over. Yeah. That is yeah. wild. It feels what a, what a crazy decade it's been. It feels yet we have it all documented fast. what we all suffered through. Yes. Yeah, we couldn't docu. We weren't able to document all of the 2010s, so we're gonna have to do that for the 2020s. Which we at the beginning <laughs> said it would be like the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, we were so optimistic, and you know yeah. what? That's what happens when you when you go in with optimism. You got to be like um, MJ in Spider Man No Way Home. If you expect yeah. disappointment, you won't be disappointed. That's right. And I've had to learn that many times. Yeah, but there is decade. there is some optimism to be had because there is still lots of great art being made, which is the reason why we do these celebratory episodes. Dare I yes. say this year may be better than last year. Oh, yes. I definitely like my list more, a lot more than the yes. one I had last year. Yes, this year, um, especially with movies and TV and video games, uh, it is a way better year than last year in terms of yes content. so um <clears throat> so shall we get started with yes, this is of course our best of our, our best of 2023 spectacular the last episodes of comment section in each year and yes. uh this uh time we're going to talk about uh the best tv um, the best video games. I've got some best albums, and I don't know. Do you have any other things that I missed? Uh, no. I think yeah. Well, you you pretty much covered everything. Okay. Because then the big finale, we're yes. gonna end with our best movies of 2023. Oh yes. Let's see what we think about the things we saw this year. All right. So. So you have how long is your list for shows? Because I was trying to come up with stuff about like, what was this year? Was it this year or did yeah. it come out another year? So I have three. So yeah, I think it, it took me a while, five. but I found five. Yeah. OK, so I guess we can start with your first two and then we'll jump back and forth. Sure. OK, starting out our lists. We should best. say we're, we're counting up to number one. Yes, my number five favorite TV thing. And basically the way I count this is like any TV that in my case all premiered in 2023. I guess it would be fine if it 
aired in part of 2023 that's fine but in the, my case they all premiered and ran in 2022 or we're doing uh 2023 yeah. yeah it sounded like you said if it was like well i guess oh it still oh, works oh it's part of it oh yeah oh yeah maybe i did misspeak that yeah if it if it started in 2022 but still was airing in 2023 by the way i've had this bad habit of thinking this a lot this year that this year was 2024 there were yeah. many times I wrote down that, oh, yeah, it's 2024. Yeah. But no, I was kind of living in the future. Now I get to experience it soon. That's right. I hope anyway. it lives up to the hype, but I'm a little scared. Yeah. Anyway, um, so my number five, all of these are so strong that, like, the order barely matters. I loved all of them. My number five is um, I talked about in a couple previous episodes that this year Ooh. I found did something happen? No, I was oh. I was saying callback. Oh, okay. I <laughs> I was worried because a, a, a program we, we had internet issues and I thought lot. that there was another okay. Show. I talked about finding a new sh- staple show in my life. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. That show is still going since 2006 <laughs> and this year um like it was really my first real time really going through the entire show except for a couple episodes that I saw way back in the day and um a season 16 of just 8 episodes but 8 solid episodes came out this year i've seen uh i'm obviously a very new fan i started watching <laughs> in may of this year and watched through the entire thing multiple times this year um and uh, I've seen fans have somewhat like mixed reactions to the newer seasons. I'd say maybe the last like six or seven seasons, maybe. Uh, but I think that every single season has mostly, mostly great episodes. Like, um, my only issue with some of the later seasons is that there's occasionally a slight dud episode that's just not my favorite and I don't go back and rewatch it all the time. But overall, every single season has had amazing moments and basically every season has one of my favorite episodes in it. And this season is no exception. It was, it was um, uh, even just eight episodes. It was really great. And it had some uh, creative stuff that they hadn't done before. I think my favorite episode is probably when they went to a like uh, parody Chuck E. Cheese and uh, they were going under the like the auspices of being like, oh, yeah, the nostalgia. I remember back in the day it was like and they were being nostalgic about how like things were like more dangerous and more (laughs) offensive back then. And they're like slowly realizing but at the same time not really accepting that their childhood was just awful and <laughs> and uh so uh i'm to seek that therapy <laughs> yeah that that maybe maybe being nostalgic over a time where there weren't safety standards and people were just blatantly offensive maybe isn't the best thing to be nostalgic about so that was like uh, that was a great episode and then the final episode of the season was the most unique in that it was basically just centering around one character, Dennis, as he goes through like 
a nightmare series of events where he gets like locked out of his car and um uh tries to get help and then he decides to like seek the person who invented the car to give him a piece of their mind and it's it's <laughs> just like a really wild and unique ending ending um another solid season i'd say um, oh yes so then my number four oh real quick yeah i will say i've only seen two episodes mm-hmm. of it's sunny in philadelphia but after that one episode where you talked about it, I am going to try and sit down and watch it. Like, go through the thing, the whole yeah. thing. Um, what, it, was it an episode I just mentioned, or do you mean in the past I mentioned? No, I mean, um, in the past, when you, in comment section, when you talked yeah. about it, I was just like, I should try to sit, yeah. go through the show. Yeah, and I would, people say this about a lot of shows, but the first season is like, you could almost skip it. Like you can just, just yeah. put it, you can put it on. It's funny. You can get through it. G- just watch it. But just know that if you're not totally into it, probably at some point in season two, it'll click. Yes. That's like how it is for almost all sitcoms. It's always, yeah. Yeah. The first season is not the best. <laughs> yeah. And season two is when they, you know, get Danny DeVito's Frank on. And then I would say that it really shines in like four, five, six, seven, eight. Like it's around there that it's at its best, I would say. Um, and I think every season of the show is like 10 to 12 episodes tops. So it's not going to oh, take okay. that long. It's not like a 22 episode per season show. Um uh so yeah i uh highly recommend it um and luckily it's almost all really good um so yeah see uh um my number four is season two of a new show that last year um i think last year i basically said this was my favorite thing from this year I think um, I have a guess of what this is. Yes. Uh, I, I'm, you, you might. It is Our Flag Means Death. Yes. So the only reason this is number four and not higher, because this has very quickly become one of my favorite shows, certainly one of my favorite airing right now, is because I've only watched the first episode so far. So I <laughs> don't want to... I don't know what the whole season is going to be like yet, but I just want with that episode. Yeah. It just went down. I just, just want to simply shout out that the first episode is really good and that I love this show in general. So I have to put it in my top five. Um, I could, I doubt I'll end up disliking it, but if for some reason I do, maybe these are like, you're like saying yourself up right now to have to come back and be like, guys. Yeah. Oh, I was wrong. (laughs) Well, I could, I could be, but it, that's that's why I feel like putting just putting it at the bottom of this list as sort of an like more than an honorable mention, but to say that like I'm excited for where it's going. Uh, I wanted to at least do that. Um, so that is my number five and four. Oh, and but uh, yeah, our flag means death ended on like a big cliffhanger, and I was a little worried, like you know, is this too big of a cliffhanger? Or is the dynamic going to change too much? But, like, 
quickly in the first episode, you see where they're going with it. All the characters that you love, the great ensemble gets, you know, mostly back together and uh, it just feels like you never left, but that there's this sort of things have changed fundamentally, but it doesn't feel that different, which was what I was worried about. And it, I'm happy to say that it does feel like the same show. And uh, yeah, the cliffhanger that they ended at just ended last season on just made it more exciting to go into season two. So off to a good start. Oh, yes. And that's it. So what is your uh, number three, is it? Well, yes. My number three is something that's been a bit of a mixed bag. But when it works, just like it really works. Mm -hmm. So this year was the final season of The Flash. CW's The Flash. Bringing the Arrowverse as we know it to a close. And there was a lot of anticipation, like, oh, my God. Like, for me, this was the superhero franchise of the 2010s. Like, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I loved um, Ben Affleck's Batman, as much as I love Chris Evans's um, Captain America, you'd see them, like, once a year or something, or a couple times a year, depending on how you rewatch, how much you rewatch them. But, like, Stephen Amell's Green Arrow... Grant Gustin's Flash, you, I would see them every week. So, um, you know, you feel more connected with them that way. Also, <laughs> the Arrowverse was definitely a much better franchise than the DCEU. So there's that. So this season went in just like, okay, Eric Wallace has not been the best showrunner. And um, clearly it peaked with Crisis on Infinite Earths because... That's when the golden age kind of ended. But how are they going to wrap it up? And there are some episodes that are quite bad. Um, there was one I just watched that was really awful. <laughs> but there were like a few episodes that I really, I was just like, please make this work. Please make this work. And boy, did those episodes feel like the golden age again. Nice. And I would say like, they had this season two of their best episodes of the whole show. Nice. So this was a series. Unlike most shows where the series finale is the most important for a final season. This one didn't. This one, the most important one was the final crossover between Green Arrow and The Flash. And to put it in context, the last crossover they did was Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I really did not like that crossover. Right. But this was a sequel and it was everything I hoped it would be. No, no, no. I cannot say that. It surpassed everything I wanted it to be. Nice. One last crossover because you got to remember every year those Arrow and Flash crossovers were up there with the Simpsons Trias of Horror as my most anticipated TV moments of the year. And then watching it again, I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. And they actually took what I thought was a pretty awful series finale of Arrow. And they didn't like retcon it, but they gave it a little more context. We are like, oh, okay. And then this episode, uh, the episode of Green Arrow this season was like a true proper finale to Arrow. So like, once you see that, you're like, all right. 
they gave Green Arrow a satisfying ending. Nice. And the other thing was the finale. So the series finale, I watched the night it aired before I watched most of the other season because I didn't want it spoiled for me. And while the series finale, it's all right. But the last scene was just like everything I ever wanted. It was like the perfect way to end the Flash show. That's amazing. And I, and I remember watching the series finale being like, well, I mean, the, the, the final scene's great. And the finale's all the finale is all right. It's not the finale I wanted, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I caught up. And the fourth to last episode, that was what I wanted for the series finale. So Uh-oh. in a way, I did get... You still got it, yeah. Yes, I still <laughs> got the series finale I always wanted. I just had to wait a couple episodes for the actual final scene I always wanted. But yeah, overall, a bit of a mixed bag. But the stuff I wanted, the stuff I was, I really had my heart set on, I walk away being like, all right, that that's that's the way to end it. Very nice. Yes. It's good to hear because I know that through this entire Arrowverse saga, since we've been talking about it the entire existence of this podcast, I have been present to hear those ups and downs. Oh yes. Second hand. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's that's awesome. What oh, a yes. what a way to end uh ever talking about a new thing from that uh, whole universe again. Oh, yes. 11 years. 11 years it went. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Let's see if this works now. And... So we are going to be talking about my number three. Oh, here. So we're going to be talking about my number three uh, best TV of 2023. This is a season five that aired oh, okay. through um, earlier this year. Um, it's crazy that it's season five, and I believe season six will be the last of what we do in the shadows. Oh, the okay. TV really? series. Really? Season five. Yeah. Uh, shockingly. Um, so, um, <clears throat> um, yeah. So I've been talking about how great the show is since it started airing. And um, there's something that happened this year, though. After this season aired, like in prep for it, I rewatched the whole thing. And then after it aired, I rewatched the whole thing again, including this season. And it clicked for me more as like a mainstay in my like live action comedy rewatching that I do. It kind of solidified itself more with this season because the full arc of where the show is going is just becoming so satisfying. And um, yeah, I love it. I think season five might be one of the best genuinely uh uh it had a lot of my favorite episodes in it uh, i would be hard for me to pick just a favorite season but i think part of the reason it feels so surprising that it's already on season five is because the consistency is absurd like every season feels like the same quality there's no like jarring like even some shows will like 
you'll notice in later seasons it like I noticed with in the office later seasons are really saturated and colorful whereas yeah. the early seasons are really like dull looking which was on purpose <laughs> um especially season 1 yeah um this uh this show I like it um not to say that it all feels the same in a negative way but it there's a, a good level of consistency in the quality of the, the comedy and the character building and the story. And uh, I think season six, if it, if I'm right, that it seems like it's probably going to be the last season seems like a perfect place to stop it. Cause um, yeah, it's probably got a good 10 episodes more in it. Um, and really excited to see what's next. Oh, Ooh, yes. I almost stopped the recording when I meant to stop <laughs> screen sharing. Uh, we don't want that. Yeah. Okay. That was mine. Uh, what we do in the shadows season five. Oh, yes. Now for me, <clears throat> my number two of the year. Whenever you hear that something you love, something you put on a pedestal is going to be remade or rebooted. You know, you're both excited and a little bit nervous because you're like, ooh, what, what are they going to do? Especially when you find out there are going to be some changes, including one very, very big, significant change. <clears throat> so, but when it's time to watch it, you got to put that all to the side and just hope that it's good. And boy, I've seen three episodes so far, and I have to say it's great, and I think it's one of the best written um, animated shows on TV right now, and that is Tiny Toons Luniversity. Nice. That's right. We have this year the return of Buster Bunny, Babs Bunny, Plucky Duck, and Hampton J. Pig. Also, the best version of um, what is the bird's name? Sweetie Pie? Is that it? Is that it? <clears throat> she had such a small role in the old show, but she has a bigger one this time. But gotcha, it's great. So <clears throat> Unlike the Animaniacs revival that they did, where Animaniacs was clearly a sequel to the old show, this was more of a reboot, like um, the DuckTales show that came out a few years ago. And <laughs> there was one change that I still am a little bit like, I don't know if that was the best idea, which was, you know, in the original show, they would introduce every episode of... Buster and Babs Bunny, no relation. And, you know, mm -hmm. they became friends. And, and later on, even more than friends. But in this show, they made him siblings, which when you consider the backstory is a little disturbing. <laughs> Just like, oh, man, they must have been raised in Kansas or something. <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> like, oh, boy, mutant bunny babies with yeah. like three years. Uh-oh. But yet. You know, you gotta remember this isn't the same show. Like it's the same characters, but it's a different show. Yeah. And well, I don't well, I would prefer they kept it the old way. They did make it work in the show, having them as siblings, and the comedy is great. Um also, unlike the old show, which was more like they would do like three short stories. This one is very much more like a sitcom where it's one story. You have like an A, bot, a plot, B plot, and then somehow they're tangled together. Yeah, that makes 
that makes sense for something coming out now. Yeah, and um, it's so great. Is I think it's hilarious. The writing is so smart. Um, the voice acting in there is great. Eric Bowser, who does um, Bugs Bunny a lot, is Buster mm-hmm. Bunny this cool. time. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I don't know who does Plucky Duck, but um, whoever does is very good. Um, the only two people we had that I can think of returning from the old Tiny Tunes are we have Jeff Bergman as Bugs Bunny and Bob Bergen as Porky Pig, and they're great as always. One thing I do have to say I really appreciate about this show is I think it's like the first time since like maybe the Looney Tunes Christmas special they did back in 2006. It's the first time they're using the old character designs for the Looney Tunes, which is great to see. But um, also, yeah, the Looney Tunes, you, see, you, you get a good amount of the classic characters like Bugs, Daffy, Granny, nice. Yosemite, Sam. You get a great dose of them in there. And overall, I'm just watching. I'm just like, this. this is... Man, I may regret saying this, but I think it's as good as the old show. That is how much, and I love that time. Yeah. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Nice. Um, but I, I, I just watch. I'm like, holy crap! This is such a great show. <laughs> so, my number two is Tiny Toons University. Now, awesome. if I remember right, I think it was you. I do remember back in the day, you you were smart and kept. All your old video game consoles. Uh, yeah. And I do yeah. think I remember that you had a Sega Genesis Tiny Toons game. That, that is you. one of the best games on the Sega Genesis. <laughs> yeah, the Tiny Toons game is awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I love Tiny Toons. This is this is something I'm definitely interested in checking out soon. It sounds really good. Oh, it is so good. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Cool. My number two is a completely different thing. Um, Complete mood change, um, I guess, even though it's technically a comedy. Um, I started watching this. I actually started watching both my number two and one fairly recently. They they started releasing not that long ago in both cases. So Um, this one, I've also not seen the full season yet because it hasn't all aired but about half of it has. Um, and it's just, it's just so, it's so me in a way that like, it's so something that I would enjoy. It's practically pandering to me, but uh, it's this very bizarre, I think maybe somewhat divisive new show. Um, that's a showtime I know it's on Paramount Plus, so Paramount Showtime type thing. It's called The Curse. And uh, the reason why... um, Oh, yeah, I have to share something. It's called The Curse. And the reason why this is on my radar is because um, it has Nathan Fielder in it. And uh, another thing... Also Gwen Stacy. Yes, Gwen Stacy, Emma Stone is in it. The two main characters are Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone, which is the most bizarre, like, opposite chemist. Like, they, I think they purposely went for, like, an unbelievably weird um, chemistry pairing. Like, just you'd never see these two people together. 
Um, last year, one of my favorite things of the year was the rehearsal, which was so the reason I I'm a Nathan Fielder fan is because of the show Nathan for you, which I've talked about before. The oh, yeah, it does like, ring a bell. Yeah, it's when he it's the show I've talked about where he um truthfully borderline pranks small businesses in the form of like doing what feels like this reality show like undercover boss type show where he's like i went to business school and i'm gonna help this small business succeed with my skills and follow them through the process but everything that he suggests is totally insane and the people are too nice to like combat it so he usually just ends up doing the insane thing and nathan for you is one of my favorite shows of all time so the rehearsal I was really anticipating for that reason. And it was great. And it was one of my high, highest rated TV shows of last year. This is his next project, which is different because it's not like a reality thing where he's playing himself. Like he's Nathan Fielder. And he's, he's he, he, I don't think anyone really knows the real Nathan Fielder because he's always playing a character. He's a very like dry, awkward like even in like late show type interviews, he's like in character as an insanely awkward person who just sucks the energy out of the room and, and doesn't know how to communicate with people. And uh, in this, he's acting, uh, but he is like, he's not playing himself. It's a written story. I think I think it's created by him in some way, like he either is a oh, an actor and writer or he's just a producer. He's highly involved in more than just an acting role in some way. But the crux of this show is they are doing... Oh, yeah, he did co-create it. Yeah. So the, the crux of this show is he and his new wife, played by Emma Stone, are these, like philanthropists a realty people who are like we want to make an HGTV TV show called Flipanthropy which is about flipping houses in a bad neighborhood to like nice houses with like eco-friendly like carbon neutral design in a way where it doesn't displace the people who currently live there. So they think they're like really like, um, they think that they're really socially conscious people who are doing thing, doing something that is normally very like capitalistic and greedy. And they think they're doing it in a way that is ethical. And as we follow them in the show, it's one of those shows where everyone is a horrible person. Um, you kind it. I think it's a show that kind of, I think, really smartly pokes at like the way that a lot of this type of person is still doing the thing they claim to be against, um, because they through the show so far run into many obstacles where clearly what they are doing is displacing the community 
they are like outside it is contributing to like the gentrification of the community but they like it, it almost gives me a strange like almost breaking bad vibe where like they seem so like uptight and nice on the outside but then they are going to such extreme lengths to make it make it so that their image is crystal clean and that they seem so ethical um like this show is basically advertised and supposed to be like a comedy and it is but it's such a dark like black comedy with so much tension and anxiety that it's borderline like an uh like psychological thriller at the same time um and I, it's funny before this is one of those things before reading it i was reading reviews and it's one of those instances where the negative reviews are telling me that this is something that i would love which is <laughs> that's a good sign <laughs> because it was people being like who is this nathan feeler guy he's so wooden it's like he's never talked to a person before and i'm like yeah that's him that sounds hilarious <laughs> that's a <our> boy <laughs> yeah and like people being like everyone is so awful or like this is supposed to be funny i just felt anxious the whole time what is like people just being so flabbergasted at what this show is i feel bad um, about myself watching it <laughs> yeah um and so i was like okay i'm gonna love this and i did <laughs> i am so unbelievably i think the next episode airs tomorrow i'm so excited um i'm at the edge of my seat <laughs> And and all I was all the laughter is incredibly uncomfortable laughter when you're watching this. It's <laughs> like um, it's like you, you shouldn't be laughing. Um, I don't know if I recommend it, but it is awesome. The curse. Oh yes. So I guess I'll get to my number one then. And. Anyone who's ever listened to this show, I don't think you'll be surprised about what my number one is for a number one TV show. So this one I've been, you know, it was the last two years, I think. We yeah. also mentioned it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've been lucky uh, the past 23 years with the superhero genre, starting with X-Men, Spider-Man, and also on television we had Smallville. And Arrow, Flash, Gotham. And, you know, this year, I mean, this decade, the superhero genre has been struggling a bit. But we have had some strong ones. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home, I think, is the best superhero movie we've had this decade so far. Um, But for me, what is the best superhero adaptation this decade? It's just hands down above the rest like as much as i like a lot of stuff that's come out this decade like it's not even close superman lois for me is the best superhero adaptation this decade and you know we still have six years left of this decade i don't think that will change yeah um it just this show is with smallville it is the gold standard of superhero shows it just Every time I watch it, I'm just on the edge of my seat. being like, oh, and like there was an episode where he didn't even wear the suit. 
Now, years ago, <laughs> I'd be like, no, I had Smallville. I want him in that costume. Yeah. And yet, the episode ended, and it, it didn't even matter, just because I was so just like, oh, the whole time. Yeah. And now, I've said before how much I love the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Now, to, um, to give a little context, I have not finished this season yet. Um, you know, because it's been the final season for a lot of DC shows, I've been like stretching out going, going through yeah. them. And I was like 50 50 on if it would be renewed for season four. So I've always I've seen the first half so far, but I think I can sit I, unless they really crap the bed in these in the rest of the season, which I've heard it gets even better. Um, this like as much as I love the first two seasons, this is the best one yet nice um it may be the best season of superhero television i've ever seen wow it it is just it's that good and they took and you know the first two seasons they went super big and this time they made it smaller and they took a real big risk this season because they did a storyline where lois is suffering from breast cancer and like you see how it's affecting Clark, you see how it's affecting the two boys, and like for anyone who ever says like, "Oh, Superman is not relatable. He's just a he's just some overpowered god." I I will always turn and be like, "You gotta look at him on television because there is an episode where uh, Lois asks Clark to join like a support group for like spouses mm-hmm. who are like." Spouses of the people who have cancer, and he goes to the first me, and it like freaks him out. They're yeah. talking about like, like people like close to death and all that, and it freaks him out. And he mm-hmm. is like so scared about going back. And it's almost like he goes in like this place of denial, like Lois, we've been through a lot, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And, like the whole episode is him being just like, uh, kind of having to realize this, like, you know, there's like there's a chance that things go bad and goes has him go through this arc of where he goes at the end. He does join the support group and just like, yeah, you know, (laughs) Superman is the most human of all superheroes. That's Mm -hmm. what the movie screw up with. Yeah. But, um, also one of the creepiest villains is not even a villain. One of the creepiest characters ever in one of these CW superhero shows is this trashy drug, um, drug dealing hillbilly. Like, there's an episode where, like, um, because uh, one of Superman's sons is dating the dude's daughter, and Lois goes to confront him, and he pulls like a gun out on her, and you're like, oh crap, oh crap. And then you see when Clark finds out that this dude pulled a gun out on Lois. He yeah. goes full Batman mode. Oh my gosh. As Clark Kent, where like he goes to like this diner that like everyone goes to, kind of like how they have the talent in Smallville. Yeah. And um, um, Lana's ex husband Kyle is there and he goes, like, Kent, you okay? And he goes, Nope. And <laughs> it kind of recreates that moment from Superman 2, where um, there's this dude who um, who like is being a jerk and like Clark kind of like, Stands up to him and puts him in his place. Yeah, and you see Clark go full Batman mode, and you're like, "Oh crap! You do not mess." Like Superman, he can be friendly and all that, but Clark <laughs> Kent, when you when you make him mad, 
Wow. Um, and then he goes like, um, he goes, and then just when he looks like, oh, is he full Batman mode now? He goes to like all like the customers like, sorry about the disturbance after the dude like r- runs away. And yeah. it's like, oh my God, that was awesome. And um, they go on small this year. Um, there's this great villain, Bruno Mannheim. And he has like the best character. He has the best villain motivation like that you could possibly have where he sees himself as a good guy. Um, and it's just like this, they, it was such a different season from the first two, but it just, it just works so well. Um, I just Superman Lois, I mean, superhero television, Superman is the gold standard with Smallville. And now this, so yeah, that's number one. That sounds like a really, yeah, bold season. Um, and yeah, from what I've seen, definitely uh, an awesome show. So glad to hear it's even improved. Since oh I've yes, watched it. Um, and I will say, like uh, most of the Arrowverse, I'll probably just never watch. I'm <laughs> I like this is the one where. <laughs> uh, it sold me on it. Uh, so anyway, you're number one. Now it's time for my number one. Oh, yes. Here we TV. go. The grand reveal. Yes. My number one is something animated. Oh. And like I said, also, it came out fairly recently. Oh, my um, God. Is it Velma? I knew it. No. So excited. I did like, not. I did not watch that. Mystery Inc. would be so much better if it wasn't for that stupid dog. Yeah. Just like, let's get rid of the mysteries. Let's get rid of anything. <laughs> we just want four teenagers complaining and moaning about how life sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is why I don't usually have negative lists is because I don't watch <laughs> things like that. <laughs> um, I haven't, but I'm a little curious about if it's <laughs> as bad as I've heard. I... I mean, if I were a generous and uh, like person who uh, is not a, a hack, then I would give it a fair shake. But the little <laughs> like snippets that I've seen delivered to me about how bad it is have convinced me that it is bad. But that's all I know. Um, so my number one is uh, based off of something else. Um in December of 2019, you remember we did a. I, I do lots of throwbacks in this episode. Oh yeah. December of 2019, we did our best of the decade lists, our top 10 movies of the whole decade. And oh, my yes. my oldest movie on that because it came out in 2010, and it was my number 10, I believe, was Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh yes. Um, a movie that when I saw it back then, when I was like 16 or whatever, I had never seen a movie like that before with like crazy editing and like really quick clever humor uh it was just seemed like more wild and experimental and unique than i'd ever seen in a movie before and it kind of made me realize that i can have my own taste in movies and that i can seek out like the types of movies that i like and it was one of the first like I mean, I, I know at 16, I should probably have more of my own opinions by then, but it was kind of one of the it was kind of one of the first movies where You're I like, like I'll, I'll, 
I'll come to my own opinion like one day. Yeah, I guess what I mean is that it's like puberty. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. now I'm a man. <laughs> I guess what I mean is that um, movies were just kind of something that existed, and I watched the ones that everyone that people brought to me, and that that movie was like, um, uh, it, it kind of like taught me, like. Yeah, these are the popular movies that are out there. This is the thing that I like. This is different in a way that is specific to what I like. Um, and it ended up being only number 10 on my list because over the years, there's some things about it that just haven't aged that well to me. Um, <clears throat> some things don't land quite the way they used to. And even though I think that the core message of the uh of of it is is really good i don't know if it communicates it that well in some instances uh so it's yeah but it's still something that i love and it's based on a series of graphic novels that i went and read all of eventually uh and i think that also shaped and made it go lower on that list too because there are lots of great things about the characters that I didn't totally see in that. So I mostly see Scott Pilgrim vs. the World as amazing filmmaking and really good, like, if you're a fan of those graphic novels, it's like a quick, like, very accurate recreation of a lot of that. Um, but there's something that, like, there's something under it where, like, the main, the core message of the movie... Uh, I guess I should I should be more specific. The thing is, uh, like... It's about Scott Pilgrim fighting his crush, Ramona Flowers, seven evil exes to, like, win her over. And I think that on the surface, that, it was like, my issue is that on the surface, that sounds like a very infantilizing, like, like winning the girl kind of movie that seems lame on, on its face. <laughs> but, like... What you what it digs more into in the graphic novels and Brian Lee O'Malley, the writer, the intent behind it, and I think the intent behind the movie that just wasn't communicated well enough is that Scott Pilgrim is a crummy guy who thinks he can win over a girl and like Manny Pick, Manic Pixie Dream Girl like creates this image of what this girl is in his head that kind of, you know, dehumanizes her. And I think that that's more the message of the movie is like viewing other people as like objects to be won or like you as the main character who like can get whatever he wants as long as you like <laughs> fight everyone for it. I think that feels like more the main message of the movie. Um, and it's not communicated as well but I still love the movie. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, so, and, and the graphic novels are some of my favorites too. This show that came out this year is called Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. It's an animated, oh, yes. like anime inspired uh, version of Scott Pilgrim where the, the styles of the characters, the art style is basically exactly like it is in the graphic novel, but it's animated. Uh, and yeah, like I said, in many ways, anime inspired. Um, and uh, I, I didn't I purposely didn't look into it much when I saw the promotionals, but I knew I was going to watch it right away. Uh, and I was really excited. And I, I thought 
I saw the entire original cast was back. Every single person, even big names like Chris Evans, uh, who was in the movie, came back just to voice that character. Everyone was back. So they clearly really respected their time on that on that movie. I I thought it was going to be just an animated version of the graphic novels and therefore follow the graphic novels, follow the movie, basically, because the movie was very accurate to the graphic novels. I thought it was just I thought it was just an animated version. Did the movie cover all the graphic novels or just like the first one in an abridged way? Yes, it did. It all of all of them. Um, which like it, it wasn't even really that abridged either. <laughs> There's just a few little extra character details that were missing. Um, the show I thought was like, okay, they're going to extend it to like six, seven episodes or whatever to more closely match the graphic novels. Part of me wonders if the marketing was supposed to make you think that. Anyway, it they wasn't that at you. all. It wasn't that at all. The first episode, I, I shouldn't even, for pe- I want people to watch this. I shouldn't spoil it too much, but the first episode fully makes you think it's going to be, it, it is the like first chapter to a T and then something happens at the end that's just a total twist. And the whole second episode, I was like, wait a second. This this show isn't just an adaptation of, of the graphic novels. And I was almost having a hard time focusing <laughs> like, wait a second. This isn't what I expected. No, give it a chance. <laughs> give it a chance. And I'm sure it's good. By the end. I think that this is better than the movie. That made me like this series to begin with. This is like now the definitive way to enjoy this IP, this franchise. (laughs) It's amazing to me. Um, And oh, I didn't share anything. Quick little. (laughs) Talk so long about it and you didn't even have a visual aid. You probably all zoned out. I want to know what how it looks like compared to the comic. Oh, oh I sh- wow! I should have done a, very anime inspired. I, I, I should have done a side by side. Um, there's an interesting side by side I saw when I was looking earlier. But um, without, I guess, saying too too much, um, it has a very like. It's sort of like a what if. Uh, it, it, it's sort of like a what if this happened instead how would it be different alternate reality to the to the graphic novels in the movie um and as a result of the stuff that happens in it um it centers much more around the main character being Ramona Flowers um here's another side by side of a scene from the uh movie versus the show <laughs> in the first episode <clears throat> but uh it centers much more around uh Ramona Flowers solving a mystery and uh it has the cup crushed it, it, yeah uh and yeah uh it's it's really good and it it like i think part of the reason why is is because it does give a lot of the side characters more time to shine uh and i liked a lot of those characters and the graphic novels kind of highlighted them more and some other supplemental materials i think i think there may have been 
other editions. I don't even remember at this point, but I'm pretty sure that some of the lore I know about this series isn't just the graphic novels. And I don't know why I know it anymore. <laughs> but some of that was explored in this series. And if so, as a result, it feels like a more complete like exploration of all these awesome characters. All right. So that's Scott Pilgrim takes off. Um, I don't know if it's going to have another season or anything. Uh, did it do it, all the graphic novel or? It, well, it didn't like even, what it, didn't, it didn't even attempt. Yeah, well, I mean, it it completed a story. My only imagining if there was another season is maybe they do do something more similar to the graphic novels, or maybe they do what happens after this version of reality um i don't know but um it's like yeah seven episodes and it's good doesn't necessarily need to be more very good alternate adaptation that's my number one. Oh yes our our uh, top shows of 2023 yes but that's just our top tv that's right we have more to cover here too Let's um, go to another category of some. Um, what, what other stuff do you have to bring up? Are you mostly at just movies now, or do you have other? Yeah, I have uh, just movies now. Okay. Um, I tried to think of games, but the only game I have yet to play a game from this decade yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of catch up to do. Yeah. So I've played a lot of good video games this year, and dare I say, um, out of all these categories, Video games is the one where I think 2023 stands out as an unbelievably good year for uh, art, content, whatever. Because it has genuinely uh, some of the best games I've ever played in my entire life have come out this year. Wow. Um, Old words. And we'll get into it, but number one and two are especially. Um... Uh, I guess a a quick honorable mention I have on here is City Skylines 2. It's kind of uh, unfinished at the current state, but I've still played a lot of hours of it this year. (laughs) Um, uh, It has a lot of uh, a lot of haters, a lot of it's like, I think, a negative review on Steam right now because of how like it was kind of released unfinished, which I get why people would be upset about that. but. At the state it's in, it feels like a really awesome beta. Oh, just to make sure, um, are these all PC games or? No, it varies. Oh, okay. That one is a PC game. Um, this next Unfinished, one is finished too. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other ones are all finished. Okay. <laughs> Very finished, I would say. Um, the next one is um, a Nintendo Switch game. And. Uh, one theme about this year across the board is is the year of Mario. Oh, it is. <laughs> Lots of Mario stuff uh this year. Um my number 5 best video game of the year is The Incredible Super Mario Brothers Wonder, which is, is... elephant version? <laughs> yes, it's the first like 2D Mario, which is, you know, how Mario started out in a long time. Uh, It's the classic format of going level to level, 
on the overworld, getting upgrades, side scrolling. And there are a couple of uh, new power ups in this that are really unique and weird. Uh, one is the elephant, uh, where you turn into elephant, you can suck up water and shoot water out of your your snout. Is that like if you get uh, the mushroom or whatever? Yeah, it's instead of the mushroom or like the fire flower. Uh, they've added the elephant one and this other one where you shoot bubbles and then you can hop on the bubbles. That's my favorite one. Um, th- I think this is one of the best 2D Mario games, and I've I've typically been more of a fan of 3D Mario games like Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine in my life. Like Those are more what I grew up with. So I'm not one to, to talk because I didn't grow up with like the original Mario as much, though I've played it. Um, Isn't he a spinoff character from Donkey Kong? Yeah, technically the first appearance of Mario was he was the like plumber protagonist in, in the game Donkey Kong. Which technically in the lore is, I believe, Donkey Kong's grandpa or his oh, dad okay. or something. Like it, now we know, like when someone says Donkey Kong, they're usually talking about the Donkey Kong with the tie that says DK on it. Yeah. And is in like the Mario movie and stuff. That Donkey Kong is technically like his grandson or something. I think because they didn't want the hero Donkey Kong to be the bad guy. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, so now that's that's Cranky Kong. Cranky Kong is the Donkey Kong from the game Donkey Kong. Bitter like old 1983 man. or whatever. Bitter old ape. Yeah. Um, anyway, Super Mario Brothers Wonder is one of the I mean, it's just one of the best Mario games, I think. And one of the one of the reasons to get a switch, in my opinion, uh, it is one of the most. And I think part of the reason it's so good on the Wii and the Wii U and stuff, there were like solid 2D Mario games, but they weren't creative or they didn't experiment or like try anything super new. It was kind of just like, like a lot of the same stuff from the previous games, but with like more pseudo 3D graphics to make it look updated. They didn't really try anything super unique and crazy. And this has like musical stages where you're hopping in rhythm and like these weird power ups that I mentioned. Every level has this wonder flower, which is that blue flower there, where something completely absurd happens. Um, It's hard to explain unless you play it, but it's far and away one of the most creative and unique Mario games that justifies, like, they're not just churning out another 2D Mario game because they know people will buy that. It's really, really creative. Um, so, uh, that also brings me neatly into my number four, which is another Mario game. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, cause yeah, lots of Mario stuff came out this year. There are going to be people just like, will you shut up and stop showing us your Nintendo check? <laughs> Sell out. If Nintendo paid me, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. Just kidding. I probably would. Um, and um, people are just like, well, we know what your number one movie of the year is going to be. Well, we'll see. Maybe it is. Um, so it, I could really go either way. Part of me. So the here's the weird thing about this, putting this higher than Mario Wonder. This is the Super Mario RPG remake. So in a way, I respect Super Mario Wonder more because it's like the new idea. This is just a remake. 
but it is a remake of one of the greatest games of all time. So, like, I mean, of course, it's like it's hard to beat this. It's Super Mario RPG, a game that came out for the Super Nintendo in the early 90s. Um, I never played it much. I never got through much. But uh, this made me go and actually play the whole thing. Um, it's like a like, you know, very cute, updated graphics, not no longer like pixelated and uh, lacks textures in a lot of areas. It's a fully cute looking 3D version of the game. And um, it, it I'm just thankful that this version of it finally got me to play through the entire thing because this is an amazing RPG. It inspired me actually to play more turn-based RPGs this year. Um, Super Mario RPG is like basically back when this came out, they were like, what if we did like a Japanese style RPG turn-based story-based game and did that, but with Mario. So it's almost like a final fantasy game, but with Mario characters. Um, which is really unique. And they haven't done a lot with the character that uh, like that is too far outside of the genre of like a platformer or like the sports games and all that stuff that um, Mario's in uh, or Mario Kart. And this gives me hope that they're and with Mario Wonder 2, that they're starting to think about being creative with Mario again, because this was another example of when they were really creative with Mario back in the 90s when the character was like at a peak at the time and they were doing something really unexpected and wild um, that became kind of a cult classic. Because even though this is Mario, I don't I don't remember it being the most popular game ever that like it's not the first game people mention when they mention a mario game uh but got a really faithful remake and it's really really good the next game is a game that i played because i love super mario rpg so much is that another i know the nintendo <laughs> one it, it, it's not technically a nintendo game oh okay. it's a game that i loved Super Mario RPG so much that I googled like games like Super Mario RPG and like trying to find something that kind of captured the same spirit and I found an indie game that came out this year that is actually something I'm currently working my way through um and boy it's a blast I have gameplay uh from it right here but it's it has an old school style Oh, wow. It's called Sea of Stars. It is like Mario RPG, a turn-based RPG where, you know, you select moves in a turn-based rather than real-time action-based kind of thing. And um, it surrounds two characters who have sun and moon magic, and they've trained their whole lives to be warriors against evil. And... It's just, it's really charming. I'm really captivated by the story that this, these, I, I don't know much about the indie developers that made this, but something really, really special here. Um, it's kind of ignited, further ignited my love of RPGs. And if people haven't heard of it, I highly recommend it. I do, this isn't, I do play this on the Switch. You can get it on PC too, though. 
So now we're at my one and two, which I alluded to are two of the best games I've ever played in my life. In any normal year, number two would be far and away number one. And I have a feeling my number two favorite game of the year, which could might as well be my number one. They're both almost equally good. But my number two uh, might just completely sweep all of the end, end of year game awards. It's one of the most highly acclaimed games of all time. Oh boy. Everyone's heard of it because of how highly acclaimed it is. Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, yes. <laughs> a Even game, I yeah, have heard of this. <laughs> a game that came out and made some companies scared that it would raise the standard of their games where they were like, this shouldn't be what game we shouldn't be expected to be this perfect guys. Not everyone can do this. And it's like, well, maybe you should try. Um, Because Baldur's Gate three is um, an instant classic. One of the great, um, another turn-based RPG, but in a more tactical, uh, style um it's um it is a dungeons and dragons game um developed by a smaller company so it's like a third party developer they got permission to use the D ip um and has been for years because Baldur's gate one and two were released i think in the late 90s um so, so this was a long time this coming. this yeah this was basically like a it, it really felt like a, a throwback to a style of game that kind of disappeared with more action oriented games kind of taking their place and so it's really amazing to me to see a game like this get so highly praised and so popular um because it in fact, when it first came out, it was so popular. I was almost expecting it to not stick true to the the format, which is you have a party of heroes that you control all of, and there are phases where you're either wandering around the sort of open world map doing quests and stuff and talking to people and advancing the story, talking to your companions and building relationships with them. And then when you get into a battle, it switches to the turn-based mode where you control each of your characters and it's very true to D&D spells and mechanics. Um, so as a huge D&D fan, this is the closest thing you can get to just playing D&D without needing a group of people to play D&D with. Um, so For all those lonely souls out there, yes. you can't find anyone. You can't find a group. You can play Baldur's Gate 3 alone and have the best time <clears throat> there's one lonely dude with um it's is it just a pc game um it it feels like a pc you can get it for ps5 and xbox oh. one series s whatever there, there's one person playing it you know on their ps5 and it gets chosen to be like so this is what it's like to not be alone for once yeah <laughs> You can, instead of uh, developing a relationship with real people, you can <laughs> develop a relationship with Carlock. Oh, yes. This game has a uh, very, like, detailed uh, romance, um, like, storylines where you can, like, 
talk to a character. So like one big thing amongst fans of this game is asking which character you romanced when you're in it. For me, it was (laughs) Shadowheart, a divisive character. I love Shadowheart. Um, But uh, yeah, this game is excellent. I'm ashamed to say I haven't beat it yet, but that's because I put in like 250 hours and I'm still not like (laughs) I'm just doing stuff. I haven't actually beaten it yet. Um, couldn't recommend that more. It's one of it's it's straight up one of the greatest games I've ever played in my entire life, and I do not say that lightly. I say really hype, hype, big hyperbole stuff, but I I want to stress that since it's only number two, that it's one <laughs> of the greatest games I have ever played in my entire life, and that's my number two game of the now. Year. Number one better be good. <laughs> number one uh-huh. better not be some disappointment. Um. Like Tonka Truck 360. <laughs> Farm simulator. Yes, look at me. <laughs> I'm building something. My number one is a Nintendo game. I am a Nintendo shill. Oh, yes. I get those checks. And even though, like, I mean, look, when you're talking about two different games that are both 10 out of 10s, like, you can't get mad at me for putting Baldur's Gate 3 at 2 and this at 1. Uh, and in a way, I oddly hope that Baldur's Gate 3 is the winner of like the Game of the Year award and stuff too, because it's sort of like the little game studio that could, rather than Nintendo taking yet another year. Um, Have there been nominations announced, or does everyone just assume yeah. we nominated? Uh, the nominations came out very recently, and yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 and this are both nominated for Game of the Year. Oh, okay. This is... I'll just say Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. There is the Legend of Zelda. That's right. I mean, this is my favorite game franchise of all time. And typically over the last, you know, couple decades of my life, if you were to come up to me and be like, hey, what's your favorite video game? I would say Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, which was for the GameCube. Um, and so, yeah, I'm obviously a big Zelda fan. So this was like this was my most anticipated game of the year. It is- make everyone upset and be like, hey, look, there's Zelda <laughs> on, <laughs> crouching down, looking over the yeah. world. You know, it's not it, it's it, it, I know that's like the cliche gamer thing to get mad at, but it's OK. That is Link Link Hero of Time. Zelda is the princess. Um, though Zelda is usually the the heart and soul of each story. So I think it's fitting that it's named after her. So Zelda is still a main character who keeps oh, yeah. popping up. It wasn't just oh, yeah. one and done. Oh, yeah. The the game's always in some way center around what Link is doing and what Zelda is doing. Zelda is just rarely a playable character. Um, but she's usually the near main secondary character. Like... And I would say in the like latter half, uh, most Zelda games now, she's not like princess that you need to save. She's usually some other character. Like in Wind Waker, uh, she is a pirate uh, who you don't realize is Zelda until halfway through the game uh, because she's like living a different life as a pirate. And she's like the captain of the crew that you're on. So Zelda is always heavily involved in some way. <laughs> In this, she did some time shenanigans and she's sort of missing and you're kind of following clues as to why she's missing. But she has like a heavy presence through like 
memory flashbacks that you find and uh she is the center of every cutscene in the game but um this could be considered a controversial pick to put zelda over baldur's gate 3 by some oh, people boy. and i think the reason why even though this isn't a highly praised game i think a lot of people felt like this is really just breath of the wild to, i mean it the original title was Breath of the Wild 2, so it, it is literally Breath of the Wild 2, which was the previous Zelda game. Um, like, the, the graphics and the mechanics, the control scheme, a lot of the abilities you have are just copy and pasted from Breath of the Wild. So, like, it is, like, the same game with a different story and different elements in it in a slightly different world and new abilities like it's like a normal like this is how video game sequels used to be like decades ago is it they would just like use the same system and just add stuff to it um so it is that but they took breath of the wild which is one of the most highly praised games of all time. I think I think if you go on like Metacritic and stuff and you sort like highest rating of all time, this might be number one. Or sorry, uh, Breath of the Wild might be number one. Um, this is e- easily better than Breath of the Wild to me. Like it has everything that was good about Breath of the Wild, but the world is more more full of stuff to do. The story, I found the end of Breath of the Wild to be kind of a like wow, this game is amazing, one of the best things ever, and then it just kind of ends. And it it felt like kind of anticlimactic, and this game doesn't have that problem. Um, The world is absurdly huge. Like, it's kind of the world of Breath of the Wild, but years later and sort of in a more post-apocalyptic version of it. Um, But then there's also a full sky map that you can go up to by like flying up to it in various ways. And there's a full underground dark, scary version that you can go into by jumping into holes. <laughs> it's like the most absurdly huge open world I've ever experienced. <clears throat> but overall it takes what was one of my other favorite games of all time, which was breath of the wild improves on it in every single conceivable way, including like the story and the game feel and like every single problem that of the very few that that one had this doesn't have that um and one of the biggest complaints about breath of the wild from people in spite of how much people liked it was that a classic thing in zelda games is that you go to dungeons which have important items or bosses that you need to fight and so the flow of the game is usually go to a dungeon explore a little go to another dungeon until you go to the last dungeon and you beat the game. And usually those dungeons are heavily themed and feel unique. Like there's the fire dungeon or the the wind temple or the water temple. And they're heavily themed. And so the game feels very different depending on which one you go to. Breath of the Wild, every single dungeon was thematically the same. It was just like this kind of futuristic-y, almost steampunk magic tech um sort of interior that you would explore until you got to the final boss of that dungeon 
so all of the dungeons were identical and that was kind of disappointing the different themes came into play from the massive open world so you would go to like a very like jungle themed area of the world and find the dungeon but then once you're in the dungeon it's the same as all the other dungeons basically it is weird this should be night and day better to everyone because it addresses that problem because there's a fire temple and a wind temple and like every single major step of the story going to these different dungeons and finding the items and doing all the puzzles and defeating the boss each feel distinct to the location that you're going to in the world and um are creative in their own ways and um it just this is the this is the best Zelda game since Wind Waker I would say I it might be my second favorite Zelda game after Wind Waker it didn't quite beat out Wind Waker I can't say that yet um yet <laughs> yeah I mean I'm gonna play this more and more and who knows what how I'll feel in 10 years but man just uh I I just didn't want it to end. I I truly uh, played this until I was like, at this point, I'm just walking around. I don't have anything else I can do. <laughs> and then I just kind of slowly stopped. And then Baldur's Gate 3 came out. <laughs> so that was taking you through um, top video games. Oh, yes. Now, I believe if I counted right, out of the five, three of them were Nintendo. Well, uh, oh yeah, three of them were yeah Nintendo. See, I don't have a PS5 or an Xbox. I play PC games and Switch games. Um, so that often happens. I, I'm I don't typically play your like, you know. Triple A, like your Rockstar, CD Projekt Red. I, I don't usually play those types of big games that come out. Um, so those just aren't going to be represented on a lot of my lists, even though those are a lot of the most popular games. Paul right now, who has like a lot of stock in Microsoft and Sony, is yeah. fuming. He has both, <laughs> he, yeah. He's considering coming to you taking that microphone just smashing it on the ground yeah and i would like, be upset about that play with that jerk <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so um thank you for coming with me on that journey to end out this episode of the podcast which by the way definitely tune in to the episode which i'm sure is coming out at like the same time oh yes which will be our top movies which is the Big finale of this whole discussion. Yes, the grand finale of comment section 2023. Yes. But we before we get to that, and I'd like to do this more quickly than I did last year. Um, By the way, did you notice how I was going through like the stuff we did? Boy, did we kind of drop the ball with unwanted answers this year? We did way yeah. more comment section. Yeah, we, we didn't did. do a lot. Hopefully that hopefully that changes. We, we will make sure to that um we will make sure to try to beat out comment section yeah have online answers be a comment section i mean who knows because yeah. the strikes mm -hmm. like more stuff is getting delayed now so yeah though i mean yeah and most of the strikes are done but that means that things are gonna like only just start being made yeah so. like we didn't have we weren't like 
not gain stuff during the strikes. But next year, we'll feel more like the repercussions of the strikes. Yeah, yeah. and I think unwanted answers is something that can be done. You know, we don't need to... It doesn't rely on anything going on (laughs) in the world. Oh, no. It just just kind of exists, and we'll just pop up. Yeah. So, um, every year, uh, my first foray into making lists, which I love to do to this day, was making top 10 album lists every year, which I've done since 2013. It's my 10th year doing it. Oh, yes. Um, Which, by the way, I was almost thinking, we'll see. You'll definitely see whether this ends up happening uh, when it doesn't happen. But I was kind (laughs) of thinking about doing... What an introduction. (laughs) I I was kind of thinking about doing like, oh, I've done these top 10 albums lists for 10 years. I wonder if I went through and picked what my 10 favorite albums were from those top 10 lists. So different from my top 10 albums of the last 10 years, it's my top 10 albums of the top 10 lists, Uh, which would be interesting because there are a lot of albums that I didn't discover till later that aren't on there, so they wouldn't be represented in the list. And there's some albums that I don't like anymore from earlier on in the lists. So (laughs) my taste is No, never again. Yeah. Anyway, let me double check that I'm doing this all right. Um, there could be changes by the time I, I post this because I kind of scrambled to put it in an order uh, before this. Um, and typically I post fancy graphics to just kind of put on my graphic design portfolio Instagram. Uh, oh, yes. Which is at P-J-D-D-O-T-A-R-T. Um, we love so, letters. Yeah, in this th- th- this is a preview to that list. Which in a way, be... you're kind of the letters version numbers guy. <laughs> yeah, I love letters. <laughs> Remember and such. I worked at a library for five years. That is true. <laughs> love letters, and I much preferred stocking the non Dewey Decimal System things. It was a pain <laughs> to stock. Uh, the worst absolute worst thing to reshell at the library was children's nonfiction. All the books are so oh. thin and you can't even see the number on the side because it wraps around. It's oh, a yeah. nightmare. <laughs> um, so yeah, adult fiction is the easiest thing. And yeah, that's just letters, just last names. So let me share my screen yet again to show my number 10 album which i've decided is from this band called jesus peace which is not listening to it you'll find that it doesn't sound very jesus like that's all i'll say um (laughs) there were some (laughs) dude like all right christian rock finally go good hell yeah good a good christian band yeah jesus peace um it's actually sounds like um (laughs) man well i go to hell oh i don't know it sounds like um a gun used by jesus <laughs> yeah jesus is peace <laughs> hey guys hear yeah. your lord and savior boom boom awesome. you've been saved you've been saved yeah um no this is the uh angels are crying on the cover yeah they are <laughs> it's it's sad and yeah, their wings is, are, look like they're melting this is a very uh aggressive kind of punkish hardcore metalcore kind of album um, that's kind of just the stuff I was into this year. Um, there's a higher representation of heavier music this year 
this was a solid album. Uh, it uh, it was consistent. Not my absolute favorite of the year. Didn't beat out their first album. Very anticipated because their first album. Oh, is it there? Uh, yeah, I think it's their first album. Is is very very good. So I I was I was I was happy. So the album is so unknown, right? Yeah. So the album is so unknown by Jesus Peace. Um, next similar genre. This is like a hardcore punk kind of metalish album. A year of the knife. Um, uh, this is a band it's like trying to recursive right now. Yeah, this is this is one of those bands where you can't read. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can barely read the band name because it's so jagged looking. Um, album cover done by a very uh, prolific uh, metal and punk uh, album artist, by the way. Um, wish I remembered the name. Um, same artist who did a lot of Pig Destroyer albums. Um, so Year of the Knife had quite a year. Um, well, quite a couple years. Um, first of all, their singer switched out. They, they uh, singer left or kicked out. I don't, I don't know what happened, but like last year. And then their bassist, Maddie took over the vocals. Um, and personally, I was a fan of the band before, but I like the new direction of the band more with this vocalist. I think it's better. And it's they really invented. They were, yeah, they have a new energy. I really like it. It's, it's punchier. Uh, most year of the knife songs before that switch, like they had a few great songs. And a lot of songs that I could just take or leave is just kind of generic. I like every single song they've released since then. They released an EP that was really great and it got me really excited for when they finally came out with a full length album with the new vocalist. And I'm spending more time talking about this band for this reason. Earlier this year, they got in a horrific van accident and the singer, uh, every single person in the band was like, pretty badly injured everyone's okay the singer though was like in a medically induced coma with severe like brain like damage to the brain and was in critical condition for some time and it was big news in the scene it was like it was a shockingly bad van wreck and so there was a lot of like tribute shows to try and raise money for them and apparently they had an album already recorded at that point and they kind of delayed it because it didn't i think i think they delayed it because it didn't really feel like the right time things were still being worked on but things turned around and maddie the singer started making a really incredible recovery and is now you know like discharged after like i don't know two three months or something discharged from the hospital and is at home doing some recovery from there and is starting to get back to stuff, which like, I, I mean, a lot of people probably didn't know if they would make it. So it was a very sh crazy year for them. Um, then sort of along, like alongside this news of her, like recovering and getting to go home and getting back to some music and stuff. They announced this album 
And uh, so there's a lot of buzz about this album because it was like, yeah, um, for support. Um, Turns out to be really excellent, too. It's only like 21 minutes. uh, Really quick, punchy, punky, heavy, angry, blistering songs. Just really proud and happy for this band. Um, No obligation to return to doing music after you've suffered a brain injury. But if they do, if Year of the Knife continues after what happened, um, yeah, give them all the support in the world. Um, next is genre shift, Paramore. This is why. Um, Paramore, uh, uh, band I've always liked. This is probably the most popular album that I'll mention today. Um, because it's obviously a very one of the biggest rock bands. <laughs> uh, so, um, they typically go a long time without releasing an album because of band like insecurities. This album feels like kind of coming back with a really solid lineup the big three that you see on the cover. This Paramore, this is why. Uh, so it's been quite a few years they came out with this new album which um, just feels like they're really doing what they want to do. They're simultaneously not worrying about like, like just doing what the fans want and just turning something out the fans want, but simultaneously like not doing like, I guess just soulless pop or whatever. Um, I think it's a really creative rock album. Um came out in like January. So it was one of the first albums where I was like, okay, this is going to, I don't know what the other nine are going to be. This is going to be somewhere in the top 10. Um, really catchy. Great stuff. What's my number seven? Ah, 100 Gex. <laughs> 100 Gex album called 10,000 Gex. What is a Gex? That's for you to decide. Um, this is a, some mysteries don't need to be solved. <laughs> yeah, this is a bizarre album, but if anyone does know the band, um, they are uh, an acquired taste, to say the least. Don't even know what to call it. Like, electro-pop with some kind of heavy, almost new metalish elements. Um, I'll... Uh, They've sort of like been known as hyper pop as well, which is like a genre that has just started to exist recently. Um, they're kind of considered like very like Gen Z, like ADHD sounding weird noises, fast kind of upbeat music. Um, I, this is the first album that sold me on them, though. It's really creative and experimental and just wild noises on this thing. Some of the songs almost come across as like novelty songs. Like there's a song about Doritos and Fritos. <laughs> there's a song just called Frog no on Cheetos? the Floor. No. Well, well, I guess if you got Doritos, you got the best one. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's a song called Frog on the Floor, which is almost, it just sounds like a novelty. It's like a novelty song about a frog. And somehow <laughs> it's amazing. There's like sky elements on this album. It's just so creative. And I think for a lot of people, they'd be like, what am this is trash? What am I listening to? That just makes it so much better. 
Um, next album, uh, Tsunami, but spelled with an S, S-U-N-A-M-I. Self-titled I album. I like that cover. Very cool art. I don't know who did that art either. Um, this is just like real, like straightforward punk, hardcore punk, like Rage Against the System kind of stuff. That's really rad. Um, just like great. Like it's it's kind of just stuff to go dumb to breakdowns, uh, headbanging. One of the best albums for that this year. I think this is their yeah, it's their first full-length album after a lot of solid EPs. And I think they're going to start getting well, geez, they already have. They've started becoming really big in this, yeah, hardcore punk scene, and I think they deserve it. Um next is kind of a meta. I hope this isn't oh gosh. I won't stay on this too long. <laughs> I forgot how graphic the cover was. Um, it's oh a metal, <laughs> it's a metal album, obviously. Um, I didn't know if this one counted because the interesting thing about this album is it's five songs that are just straightforwardly like metal, like death metal songs. Uh, and then the, the last five songs on the album are the same songs, but done as like an orchestral, almost stage show sound sounding like no guitars, just like string instruments. So in a way, I don't know if it counts as an album because it's like an EP with another version of the EP at the other end. But I don't care. It's a it's 10 songs. It comes on a 12 inch LP that I own. Um, but yeah, that concept is really interesting to have five really great songs with a great arrangement that are great death metal songs. And then to do those same songs in a different style that gives it like a very different flavor. It's really creative. It's one of the best things this band has done, I think. Um, though I will say I do, I like the just death metal versions better than the like orchestral versions, but it's really interesting to hear them done that way. Um, oh, this is portrayal of guilt, devil music, which is what it sounds like. <laughs> This is another Satan crazy rocks out hard to that. <laughs> yeah, this is another crazy album cover too. Probably this could be my favorite album cover of the year. Huh. Um, this is uh artist called Jeff Rosenstock album Hell Mode. I guess he's kind of pop punk, power pop kind of punk artist, uh, who I've been a fan of for many years and has found his place on many of my top ten lists. Um, this is my number four because it, it's again really solid, like um, fun, uh, uh, introspective, outrospective, if that's a word. It's analyzing uh, what's going on in the world. Some of it feels like maybe kind of written during COVID, like uh, despair about the world and being afraid of the outside kind of stuff, but also healing from those feelings. Um, uh, this will be on a lot of people's top albums list because it is one of Jeff Rosenstock's best. That's Hell Mode. The next one is uh, from a band called The Acacia Strain, who I've been a fan of for 
since I was in high school, like a sophomore in high school when I first started getting into heavy music. Um, and for a while they were a guilty pleasure because they just make kind of uh, stupid breakdown music for headbanging too, like I said in that earlier one. But I think that I started realizing that there's something deeper and more to respect there. I, and they've become one of my favorite bands. So this is one of my most anticipated albums of the year. The, uh, the Acacia Strain, Step Into the Light. They have like a more raw, grimier, less produced sound that was really interesting for them. And this is like a really fast, like 20-something minute album. The thing that's really cool, um, and this is why it was very difficult for me to put this on this list. The same day, incidentally, the same day that Zelda Tears of the Kingdom came out. So it was a big day for me. May 12th, they released this album, but then they also on the same day released an entire another album by surprise. Oh, wow. So they released Step Into the Light. And then they released Failure Will Follow. And um, so it's kind of a double album. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't want to put two entries of the same band on the list. That goes against my typical rule. But it's also never really come up before because it's rare that a band releases two albums in one year. Um, uh, so you can put either one here if you want. They're about equally good. But I would say this is where I'm putting step into the light more than anything, because that's the one that's most true to their sound. And I've listened to it way more, but failure will follow is also a fantastic album where they do a doom metal type thing. It's just three songs, but each one is like over 15 minutes long. Um, it's, uh, uh yeah really creative i i've said for years that i thought that they should do a more doom approach to their music so there's a band that's been around for a long time that did something really creative and you know took a risk um and i really appreciate that i think it's one of their best albums honestly step into the light and fill your fault both couple of their best albums big two Oh, I knew yes. I knew for a long time that these these top two would be, you know, probably in my top two. So my number two album of the year is a collab album. Um, this is, I guess, my only hip hop album on this list uh, is a collab between JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. Um called scaring the hose and well, wait, the, what was it? it's called scaring the hose <laughs> <laughs> and this album has a lot of like tongue-in-cheek just he's being santa hostage yeah right? just yeah exactly <laughs> just uh this is just an album where they just decide to get together and collab on just creative just off the wall absurd beats absurd verses absurd quotable like one-liner lyrics um just a really really great example of experimental hip-hop um which the name of the album kind of comes from like this is like not music that you just play around anyone because it's so experimental and weird you can't just like vibe to it it like demands your attention and has this very 
noisy, loud, all over the place. Some of the beats are like, how are they rapping over that? Um, so if you're driving grandma to the airport, maybe don't play this on yes, the ride. That is right. Don't play my favorite song off of it, Garbage Pale Kids, which has <laughs> the most absurd hip hop beat I think I've ever heard. But it also goes so hard. I it's just something you have to hear to believe. It's so wild. Um, and a great example of what this album has to offer. But my number one album, in a way came as no surprise, but at first I was trying to be cautious because it's one of my favorite bands. And they actually had released an EP shortly before that I wasn't like that into. And so I was like, I don't know if the album is going to be good. Um, I expected to like it, but I don't know if I expected it to like it as much as my number one, but it is easily my number one this year hot mulligan why would i watch oh it's one of those Viewmaster things yes and wait it's on my wall right now <laughs> so um this is like basically uh one of the new up-and-coming kind of emo bands oh, a genre there's is not really around much anymore but it's one of the bands that people are kind of respecting from that genre that is kind of enlivening it a bit. Um, actually, their second album, which was called uh, You're Fi- You'll Be Fine, was my number one album of 2020. So they've come back and they have another one of my favorite albums. Um, and they've taken another number one spot on one of my lists with Why Would I Watch? Um, oddly, like first, this and this is a common thing in music, but first few listens, I was kind of like, eh. for some reason, I I just didn't get it, and then it just started to all click. Um, and I started seeing, you know, what they were doing as even bolder than their last couple of full length albums. Um they were, you know, sticking through their sound, but in a creative way. And this is just a really meaningful album to me. I love the lyrics. They're from Michigan. Um, they're from Lansing, oh, wow. actually. So they're, they're Michigan boys. So got to support them for that. Um, and this is a music scene that I was, you know, heavily in and loved a lot of bands of, I would say they're similar to my favorite band of all time, the wonder years. Um, and a lot of that style of music was kind of dying away. And this is kind of the comeback of that. And it has some of my favorite songs of the year and of the genre. And, um, like, uh, I, I will say also, I'm going to have a top 10, just songs of the year list. And my number one song of the year is from this album, uh, which isn't that surprising. It's my favorite album, but like that number one song is, uh, it's the last song in the album is the most meaningful song that has come out to me this year or geez, the last few years. Um, so really love this album. I'm seeing them in two weeks, I think. So very excited. Oh, <laughs> Yep. Driving to Detroit to see them. You'll be yelling, Hey, Michigan boys. <laughs> well, they, I mean, 
I think they know that already because it will be a will show you be in Michigan. Like one of those jerks who throws stuff at the <laughs> stage, but you'll be throwing mittens. No. <laughs> no. Did you hear what happened at um, a Dune thing at some Brazilian Comic Con? I think it was. Like uh, Dune the series? The, um, like the, for the know, movie? They're doing the second movie, I think. Yeah. There's some big Comic Con they have in Brazil. And the cast of Dune was there, and they were doing a photo op, and someone threw some object and it hit Florence Pugh in the face. Ooh. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's been like a big thing lately of people like throwing stuff. Yeah, they're at actually performers right yeah, now. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Something, the theory a lot of people see, I, I maybe kind of agree with it, is that something about COVID and being away from events may have broken people's brains a little bit because. Um, concerts, it's been like a problem that there have been a lot of stories of concerts where things have gone awry. Um, one I remember is the band Death Grips literally walked off stage because they kept like saying, Stop throwing like bottles up at us. And so weird, they literally just like stood there disappointed for like two minutes and just walked off stage. Um, and it's like, geez, I mean, I don't blame them, you can't just like behave that way at a show like um so yeah but okay got through that top albums uh remember to check out the cool graphics that i make for all that oh yes at the instagram tjddotart on instagram tjd.art um and yeah um i think that gives us a good comment section episode good um prelude to the big one which is going to oh, be best yes. movies that's right that's i'm really excited to talk 2023 yeah there's a uh, one movie that um i haven't gotten a chance to talk about with you yet in terms in a way in, in when i had seen it that is um Meaning I've I've seen most of the movies that I intended to see now, finally. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, a good year for movies. Yeah, overall, it was definitely an improvement over last year. Yeah. So with that, let's, uh, let's wrap this episode up and tell everyone to make sure to listen to the part two to this. Oh, so yes. So you get to know what those movies are. exactly so um in a way we're almost instead of um ending it with our regular saying we're almost saying to be continued yes so (laughs) to be continued and as always keep falling down that rabbit hole